0: Hello, friend. This is Pastor Rodney Clements, and I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for listening to our podcast or the CDs, if you receive those. It's a real blessing to me and to our church to know that you're being blessed and helped through this uh, medium of uh, technology in which we live and the opportunity to share these messages with you. Uh, Obviously, today's uh, CD or podcast is much different than what you're used to. Uh, Normally, we just have you join the service and the music and all that, but obviously... (laughs) Uh, Today, I'm coming on here talking to you, and the reason why is because we had some technical difficulties yesterday, and uh, the service was not able to be uh, fully recorded. So, we're in the midst of a Revelation uh, sermon series, uh, Part 1 called A Divine Wake-Up Call, and I know that uh, as you're listening to a series of messages, you want the entire series and we want you to have the entire series. So what I'm going to do is basically uh, record the message and the material from yesterday. Uh, it's obviously going to be a little bit different because it's not a live uh, sermon. But I want you to have this material. It's very important. And so uh, I trust it will be a blessing to you. I want to pause and pray and then we'll jump right into Revelation chapter 2 talking today about bad things do happen to good churches. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your presence today. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to share these messages with so many. I pray that you'll bless our time together today. Uh, use me, Lord, as I speak. May I truly be a blessing to others and most of all a blessing to you as I share the truth of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In September 2013, Marion Ibrahim, a Sudanese doctor, was in prison. Uh, for having married a Christian Sudanese man who is a U.S. citizen. She was sentenced to a hundred lashes for her adultery, quote-unquote adultery, and sentenced to death for not renouncing her Christian faith. Now, her sentences were delayed until she could give birth to the child she was carrying, a birth that occurred in May 2014 in a squalid prison where she was kept. Sudanese officials have come under worldwide condemnation for their faith-based persecution of Ibrahim. Uh, But she has not wavered. In fact, listen to a quote uh, that she uh, uh, gave. I refuse to change. I'm not giving up Christianity just so that I can live. If they want to execute me, then they should go ahead and do it because I'm not going to change my faith, end quote. Well, fast forward, friend, to August of this year. And Fox News reported a Sudanese woman who faced the death penalty for refusing to recant her Christian faith has arrived in New Hampshire ready to begin a new life. Miriam Ibrahim, her husband, and the couple's two children arrived Thursday night at Manchester Boston Regional Airport, where they were greeted by a throng of supporters from the city's Sudanese community before getting into an SUV and leaving the airport. Thank you so much, her husband Daniel Wani, told reporters. I am so relieved. Her brother-in-law, Gabriel Wani, said Ibrahim had been granted asylum by the United States and will soon meet with the U.S. State Department officials. Gabriel Wani said the family now plans to relax, uh, but didn't have specifics on their immediate future. The Sudanese community in Manchester, uh, northern New England's largest city, will throw the family a party, he said. Now, thankfully, friend, it seems that uh, this story has a happy ending, but not all do. Persecution for Christ followers is real. It's alive and well in our world. According to our own Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, Christians are the most persecuted religious group worldwide. An average of at least 180 Christians around the world are killed each month for their faith. I took the time to average that out on a monthly basis, and that means that five or six will die today. They tell us that Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their governments or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Christ. They also tell us that one of the worst countries in the world for the persecution of Christians is North Korea. With the exception of four official state-controlled churches in Pyongyang, Christians in North Korea face the risk of detention in the prison camps, severe torture, and in some cases, execution for practicing their religious beliefs. North Koreans suspected of having contact with South Korean or other foreign missionaries in China and those caught in possession of a Bible have been known to be executed. They also tell us, friend, that in 41 of the 50 worst nations for persecution, Christians are being persecuted by Islamic extremists. Now, in all honesty, this is a difficult issue for us to grapple with, is it not? I mean, when it comes to physical persecution because of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, I really feel like I'm the blind leading the blind. What do we really know of suffering for Jesus? You know, for, for us, suffering for Jesus might mean that the church went over till 1215, or someone took our seat, or the air conditioning was not set to our comfort level. Pastor Stephen Lawson wrote that the greatest blessing that could ever happen to the cause of Christ might be for the American church to be persecuted. He continued his thoughts by noting that someone has said the problem with Christians these days is no one wants to kill them anymore, at least not here in the United States, I guess. Such persecution would melt us down to the very centers of what it means to be a genuine follower of of Christ. Now, right now, most of us, if we suffer, we suffer what we might call mild persecution for our faith. Mild persecution. Unbelievers might laugh at us and mock us and ridicule us or even speak evil of us. Our faith might cost us a promotion at work. It might cause hardship at school. It might cause others to distance themselves from us. You know, there are many and various forms of persecution in the world. But there might come a day when we're required to move from enduring minor persecution to major persecution, uh, physical persecution, even the loss of our lives. Now, that seems so far away. But is it? I mean, think about it. In the world in which we live, it doesn't seem that far-fetched, does it? Being a Christian is becoming more and more costly, even in America. Now, the real question is, how do we respond to all of this? How do we prepare ourselves? How do we respond to the minor persecutions of today, while possibly even facing major persecution tomorrow? Well, we find some help in this in the second chapter of the book of Revelation. And today we're going to look at Jesus' message to the church at Smyrna. And so if you have your copy of the Bible uh, in front of you there, if you'll find your place in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. Now, I realize as I'm doing this series on the book of Revelation that there are some who would like to skip over these opening chapters and get into the nitty-gritty stuff of Revelation. They want to talk about the the seals and the trumpets and the two witnesses and the dragon and the beast and 144,000 and the like. And God willing, we will get there. But please don't miss out on these opening chapters. Don't miss the present while longing for the future. What we learn about the Lord Jesus Christ and these churches, and thus our church, is so valuable. You see, he arranged the order of the book of Revelation, and we're following his plan. And so we're going to continue looking here at these opening chapters and these messages to these churches. And today, the message to the church at Smyrna. Now, it's the shortest message that he sent to the seven churches. And it's only four verses in our English Bible. But you know, as I think about talking to you about Smyrna this morning, I can't help but think about what the old evangelist Dance Habner said. He said, it's not easy to preach on Smyrna nowadays. The average American congregation is in no mood to appreciate such a church. In a day of quick prosperity and giveaway shows, it is not easy to interest a well-fed, well-clothed, and well-housed Sunday morning crowd in the Smyrna brand of loyalty. We are more like Laodicea, rich and increased with goods and needing nothing. It does not cost much to be a Christian now. We sing about the reproach of the cross and hurry home to a big dinner and TV. What have we given up for Christ? And I've been thinking about that in my own life. What have I given up? What has my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ really cost me? He said, besides everything is measured in terms of success and prosperity these days, we're not interested in what it costs to be a Christian, but in what, it, what we get by being one. What shall we have, therefore, is the big idea, not such as I have, give I thee. Now, in all honesty, you might be tempted to check out or push stop or eject the CD uh, at this point. Uh, You might be thinking, this doesn't apply. I don't need this. Time to move on to something else. Uh, I don't want to think about persecution. I don't need to deal with persecution. I'm not going to face persecution. And so I just need to just kind of move on and, and ignore this. But I beg to differ. I couldn't help but think about something that happened to me and something that happened in our community just a few years back. At that time, I ran across an article that was talking about pastors and the media. And it was giving counsel on how to deal with reporters and the like. You know, that's real dangerous ground. That's potentially really dangerous ground when you start talking to the media. And as I ran across that article, I thought, I don't need this. It's not like there's a TV camera in front of my face on a regular basis. I mean, I live in Anson County. Uh, Most folks have never heard of our church. They've never heard of me, probably never will. But you know what? I read the article anyway. And you know what? It was just a short time later that a church in our community, in our county, was horribly vandalized. I mean, it was horrific. Danielle and I went over and we toured through the church and we saw the destruction and what the vandals had done. And In all honesty, friend, it brought tears to my eyes. It was horrible. But do you know who and what was waiting for me when I walked out of that church that day? Yep, a news reporter and a television camera. And you know what? I'm glad I read that article. You see, friend, you need to be ready. I need to be ready. We never know when persecution is going to come into our lives. Normally, as I've understood it and as I've seen it, uh, it, it, persecution doesn't call and make an appointment with us. It doesn't check with us first to see uh, if it's okay to, to, to appear at that moment. We must be ready because persecution is a normal part of the Christian life. Let me say that again. Persecution is a normal part of the Christian life. We should not be surprised when we face persecution. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, listen, you will have tribulation. You will have it. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12-14, through 14. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. It was old J.C. Ryle who noted that persecution, in short, is like the goldsmith's stamp on real silver and gold. It's one of the marks of a converted man. Now, these believers here in Revelation chapter 2 in the church of Smyrna, uh, they weren't just facing minor persecution, they were facing great persecution. Let's look at them and let's see what the Lord Jesus said to this church in Smyrna, beginning in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. The Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things, says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life, I know your works. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, friend, in these four verses, we learn a lot about the believers in Smyrna. And we learn a lot about their Savior and ours. And there are four main things I want you to see in this passage that are true about our Savior when it comes to our suffering for His sake. Four things that are true about our Savior when it comes to our suffering for For his sake. Number one, I want you to notice that he understands. He understands. Verse 8 is not a really long verse, but it's packed with dynamite truth. Look at it again. And to, the church of the, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. And he's addressing the angel there, the messenger, the pastor of the church in Smyrna. And Jesus reminds them all that he is the first and the last, the one who was dead but is now alive. We find in this description his deity and his humanity. As God, He is the first and the last. That is, He is eternal. As man, He is the one who was dead and came to life. Now think about what these great truths would mean to someone who is suffering for Jesus. Jesus could honestly say to these suffering believers, I understand what you're going through. First of all, He's eternal. He saw everything that they suffered. He saw everything that happened to them. He was there. Nothing was outside of his uh, knowledge and his vision because he's eternal. He's the first and the last and everything in between. But he could go even a step further, beloved, because he totally understood what they were going through because he had suffered himself. You see, after living a sinless, perfect life, Jesus voluntarily laid down his life on the cross, becoming sin for us. He knows what it is to suffer for righteousness' sake. He knows what it is like to experience pain, though he did nothing wrong. He understands mocking. He understands ridicule, laughter, jeering, beating, whipping, bleeding, and dying. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by a close friend. He knows what it's like to be deserted. He knows what it's like to be unjustly condemned. Yes, suffering Christian, Jesus totally understands. As the hymn writer put it, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? When you're suffering, whether it's minor persecution, whether major persecution were to come into your life, always remember, friend, Jesus understands. He understands. But notice, secondly here in this passage, He knows. He knows. You see, there are no scars that are born for Jesus that he does not know about. Look at verse 9. He says to the church here, I know your works. Now, he said that to all of the seven churches. We'll see that as we continue studying. But I know your works. Then notice what it says. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. He not only knew about their works, he knew about their tribulations. And there are several things that they were dealing with as followers of Christ. Let me just list them quickly, then we'll look at them one by one. He knew about that they were experiencing tribulation... Poverty, slander. Some were headed for imprisonment and some were headed for martyrdom. They were going to die for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look at each one of those very briefly. First of all, tribulation there. I know your tribulation. In the Greek, the word that's used there is a word that conveys the idea of pressing grapes until the juice comes forth. This is extreme pressure. And that's what these believers in Smyrna were facing. Next it says poverty. Now, Smyrna was not a poor city by any stretch of the imagination. This poverty was no doubt tied to the pressure from the persecution. They may have had their possessions stolen, uh, looted, taken away from them. They may have had a difficult time finding work and keeping work or being allowed to trade and to conduct business because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were experiencing tribulation and poverty. And then we find slander here. It talks about these Jews and the synagogue of Satan. It appears that these are Jews who were racially Jews. They were racially Jewish, but they were not believers. And they were busy slandering these believers they were busy spreading lies about them, and not only about you, but when it comes to persecution, uh, one of the difficult things is it not is to have people telling lies and and falsehoods and slandering you and saying things you know that are not true. Well, these believers were facing slander, tribulation, poverty, and then we find imprisonment. some of them were headed to jail, not for wicked crimes. Not for evil, which they had done, but for righteousness' sake. Some of them are going to be uh, placed in jail. We see that throughout church history. Believers placed in jail and suffering that way because of their faith in Christ. And then some are going to face martyrdom. Notice it says there in uh, verse number, um, verse number uh, uh, 10 that um, they were going to uh, be, uh, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Uh, some believers are actually called upon uh, to lay their lives, their physical lives down uh, for the faith. And that's what these believers, uh, some of them are going to face. Now all of this was going on in the church in Smyrna and Jesus knew all about it. He knows. There's nothing that you will face that he is not aware of. There's nothing that I'm going to face that he's not aware of that's a comfort, is it not? Sometimes when you're facing difficulty and and problems and challenges and sufferings and, and trials and all these things, it's a blessing sometimes just to know that somebody else knows. They know about it. And so we see here in this passage that when it comes to suffering for his sake, Jesus, he understands, he knows. But can I say to you thirdly, don't miss this one, he cares. That's one thing to know, but it's certainly another thing to care, right? I mean, you can know about a lot of things and not really care, but it's something entirely different to know and to care. Look at what he says in the beginning of verse number 10. Do not fear any of those things you are about to suffer. Now, let's just stop for a moment because you might be wondering if he knew and he did and if he cared and he did, then why did he allow this to happen in the first place? You know, we can be aware of something. We can deeply care and want to help. But we're human. We're limited. We can only do so much. But not Him. I mean, He's God. He's the first and the last. He's the Almighty. Why didn't He stop the persecution? Because He understood what they were going through. He knew what they were going through. He cared. Why did He allow it to go on in the first place? Well, friend, I'll just be honest with you. We do not know. He is sovereign. His will is perfect. And to be quite frank with you, He does not have to explain himself or his choices to us. It is enough that he knows. It's enough that he knows. Uh, We do not know why we meet in the lap of luxury when we go to church. No fear. While we have countless brothers and sisters in Christ who are meeting under the threat of punishment and death. We don't know why we get off so easy in these regards at the moment and why others do not. But he knows. And his ways are perfect. You see, beloved, he cared deeply for these believers. And he says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Now, here's the question. How could he say that? How could he say to these suffering believers, some of them are headed to prison, some of them are headed to martyrdom. How could he say to them, do not fear? Well, the answer is in verse number eight. It's because he is God He's the first and the last, and he has conquered death. He's the one who was dead and came back to life. Now, friend, when you really boil it all down, what's the worst thing that could happen to us because of our faith in Jesus Christ? I mean, the very worst they can do is what? They can kill us. And what happens if they kill us? We go to heaven to be with Jesus. Romans 8:38-39 says for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As believers, we do not have to suffer I mean excuse me, we do not have to fear suffering and death. As believers, we do not have to fear suffering and death. Now that's easy to say. That's easy to say in our American churches with padded pews and bank accounts. But what happens if all that is gone tomorrow? What then? How real is our faith? Now, beloved, we do not have to fear suffering and death because Jesus has already conquered death, hell, and the grave. And nothing can separate us from his love. While we may face persecution... It may be minor persecution. It may one day be major persecution. We don't know. We can take confidence in knowing that Jesus understands, Jesus knows, Jesus cares. But there's one more do I want you to miss. I want you to notice that he also comforts. Did you notice as you read through those four verses in this message to the church at Smyrna, there's not one corrective word or one fault pointed out concerning this church? You know we studied Ephesus last time uh, he threatened to remove its lampstand, but he doesn't give he doesn't give any threats at all to the church at Smyrna. Why? Well, listen, they were not a perfect church. We know that because there are no perfect churches, and they're not perfect because they're made up of redeemed uh, sinners. Uh, but uh, the fact is they were not perfect, but they were under persecution. And what they needed from the Lord were comforting words. And I want you to notice real quickly with me the words of encouragement and comfort found in these four verses. We find, first of all, he mentions the resurrection in verse number 8. He says there in verse number 8 that he was dead and came back to life. Jesus came back to life. He was dead, but then arose victorious. Now, if you're in the midst of suffering for your faith, would it not encourage you to be reminded that you serve a risen Savior? And so he gives this word of encouragement, I'm the one who was dead but came back to life. He mentions the resurrection. We find likewise in verse 9, he mentions riches. Though they were poor as could be in the world, uh, they were in poverty, they were in great need, they were actually super wealthy. They had those things that money cannot buy. They were spiritually wealthy. They were spiritually rich. And he reminds them, listen, in the world's eyes, in this moment right now, in this world, you're in poverty. But you are rich. Who you are and what you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He mentions the resurrection. He mentions riches. Would you notice he also mentions relief in verse 10. Those who were thrown into prison would be there and suffer for ten days. Now, some commentators and some scholars, you'll go read their works, they want to make this mean all sorts of things. But I don't see any reason to take it as anything but what it says, literally, that they would be there for ten days. That is, they would not always suffer. Relief was coming. There would be an end to their suffering. And that was an encouragement, no doubt. They could know that this is not going to go on forever. And no matter what we're facing here, it's not going to go on forever. A day of relief is coming. So he mentions the resurrection, riches, relief. He also mentions a reward in verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. I'm going to reward you for how you've suffered for me. But we also find, and I want you to really especially notice this one, we find that he mentions a wonderful reality in verse 11. A wonderful reality in verse 11. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, remember, if you uh, listen to our previous uh, message on the church at Ephesus, you know that an overcomer is not a super Christian. It's not a super believer. It's not someone with a cape and a big seal on their chest that they've overcome and they've just gone to another level. Uh, The idea of an overcomer here is a believer. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're an overcomer according to God's word and according to the Lord. And, And it says here you're only going to face death once. And in fact, friend, if the rapture happens, you're not going to face it at all. You see, the first death, because it talks about the second death. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Well, the question is, what is the second death? And then if if there's a second death, what's the first death? Well, the first death is the separation of soul and body. We deal with that all the time. We experience it in our families, in our friends, in our churches. We know there are those who have experienced death, and we deal with that on an ongoing basis. As a pastor, I deal with it quite often in, in helping people whose loved ones have experienced the first death, the separation of soul and body. So that's the first death. But what's the second death? Well, the second death is eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. D.L. Moody put it this way, He who is born once will die twice, but he who is born twice will die once. And let me say that again. That's a lot to take in and you've got to think about it and chew on it for a while. He who is born once will die twice, but he who is born twice will die twice will die once. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But let's see the second death, because the scripture tells us what it is specifically. In this same book, Revelation chapter 20, uh, verses 12 through 15, the Bible says, it talks about the great white throne judgment. And by the way, these are unbelievers. Believers do not appear at the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20, 12 through 15, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Now listen. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So that second death is eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. It's mentioned again in Revelation chapter 21 verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, we said a moment ago that if you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll only die once. So here's the question. Have you been born only once? Then you will die twice. In other words, if you've only experienced physical birth, then you're going to experience the first death, which is the separation from your body and soul. But you're also going to experience the second death, which is eternal separation from God and the lake of fire. And by the way, God desires no one to go there. His word is clear that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he desires for you to be born again, to experience that new birth, and to not have to experience the second death, but to spend eternity with him in glory. And so the question is, if you've been born only once, then you will die twice. But if you've been born twice, you'll only die once. Let's unpack that for a moment. So what do you mean, preacher, by the fact that I've been born twice? Well, first of all, there's your physical birth. And obviously you've experienced that because you're listening to my voice right now. But there's also your spiritual birth, the new birth. Have you been born again? Have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? See, if you've been born twice, if you've been born physically, which you have, but then you've been been, uh, born again by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll only die once. You see, it says here that you'll not be hurt by the second death. You'll not experience the second death. You'll have no part in the second death. You'll have no part in the lake of fire. Instead, you'll spend eternity in glory with the Lord. a so, friend, if you don't know for certain that you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, now's the time to do that. Turn from your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's kind of bring this to a close this morning and summarize what we've said. Uh, basically, I want you to take this with you. First of all, suffering is a part of the Christian life. Now listen, we don't have to go looking for suffering. We don't have to go find it. We do have to put in an ad that say, Listen, I'm wanting somebody to, to, to persecute me. If we truly live godly lives, persecution, suffering will find us. And it's a normal part of the Christian life. Don't be surprised by it. We understand here that bad things do happen to good churches. Bad things do happen. Smyrna is proof of that. I mean, here's a great church, but they're, they're suffering. They're into persecution. And it reminds us here that in the days of persecution, whether it's minor persecution, whether it's it's major physical persecution, in the days of persecution, where do we need to look? Who do we need to look to? Where do our eyes need to be focused? Yes, on our Savior, the Lord Jesus himself. Not on the persecutors, not on the persecution, not on our troubles, but on our Savior and Lord. And as we're looking at him and, and crying out to him, we remember here, as we've learned today, that he understands. He knows everything we're going through. He, he knows it from the standpoint of God. He's seen it. He's eternal, the first and the last. But also he himself, he has uh, suffered himself and he understands exactly what we're going through. He knows all about it. He cares and he brings comfort to us. We need to be faithful, not fearful, trusting totally in him. Now, beloved, I want to say to you today, as you hear this uh, message, as you think about these things, file all this away. Follow it all away, but don't put it too far away. If truth be known, you may need it sooner than you realize. I want to pray with you and speak to you just another moment. And I appreciate your listening today. Heavenly Father, help us as we take in these truths, as we understand this. Help us to be faithful uh, to you. Uh, When those would want to ridicule or mock or, Lord, if there comes a day where we actually face physical persecution, help us to not be fearful, but faithful. Looking to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you know, you understand, you care, and you comfort. You've experienced suffering. We lift up today our suffering, brothers and sisters, in Christ, around the world, those, Lord, that will be called upon to lay down their life even today. Help them to be faithful unto death. Strengthen and give your grace, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just say to you before you um, uh, close out our time together here, uh, we'd love to hear from you. It's an encouragement to me personally. It's an encouragement to those who work in our media ministry who prepare these to send out to you. It would be an encouragement to our church if I could share a note from you uh, that you're receiving the messages, whether it be by podcast or by CD. Let us know how you're hearing, how it's blessing you, and I'd love to share that with our folks here. God bless you. We love you, and I appreciate you listening again. Take care. Bye-bye.